In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, St. Paul in this epistle today praises the Thessalonians for their very fervent response to his preaching. And the fact that they had, in a relatively short space of time, become very devout, quite, quite devout indeed, when up until recently they had been engaged in the worship of idols. Have you ever wondered why does it seem that there is such an immense gulf, such a huge difference between these Catholics of the early church, who were interchangeably called Christians, and the rest of us? How is it that so many of them practiced a charity towards one's neighbor, so, as to, so excessive as to seem almost embarrassing to the likes of us? so ready to lay down their lives because of their hopeful expectation of the life to come, that we, or at least I, who tremble every time the airplane hits a bit of turbulence, seem to have no understanding of their frame of mind. The early church saw many priests and faithful go to their deaths as martyrs. This we know. And so it's common to associate the word martyr with the idea of death in favor of the faith. It's interesting to note, however, however, that the Greek word martus, the root of this word martyr, signifies a witness, not death, but simply witness. Witness who testifies to a fact of which he has knowledge because of his own personal observation something he's witnessed with his own eyes. It is in this sense that this term of martyr first appears in Christian literature, that the, witnessing that the apostles were witnesses. They had actually seen these things that they had observed in the public life of Christ, as well as all that they had learned of his teaching, as the Acts of the Apostle tell, tells us, in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. St. Peter, when addressing the apostles and the disciples about the election of a successor for Judas, who had given in to despair and gone off to his own place and hung himself, St. Peter employs the term with this meaning, saying, Wherefore, of these men who have accompanied, who have accompanied with us, all the time that the Lord Jesus came and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must be made witness with us of his resurrection. But even in these first examples of the use of the word martyr in Christian terminology, a new shade of meaning is already noticeable in addition to the accepted meaning of the term. The disciples of Christ, including of first and foremost the apostles, were no ordinary witnesses, such as those who give testimony in a court case. For the latter, these latter, they run no risk in bearing testimony to the facts which they've seen. The witnesses of Christ, first and foremost the apostles, faced death every day 
Indeed, all save one of them would go to their deaths as martyrs witnessing the resurrection of our Lord. What was it like to be a martyr in the early church? How could we possibly relate to that this day, this day and age? We who have it relatively easy by comparison, although that may not always be the case. Well, the first act was the arrest by the officer. In some instances, for example, granted to St. Paul during his first imprisonment, the treatment, the initial treatment before the court arraignment was a little bit more sympathetic. St. Cyprian, for example, was detained in the house of the officer who arrested him, a Roman officer who evidently was a little bit more sympathetic. But such, such procedures were definitely the exception to the rule. The accused Christians were generally cast into the public prisons, where often, for weeks or months at a time, they suffered indeed the greatest hardships. What did those include? Well, the life of St. Perpetua, one of the early martyrs, St. Perpetua was horrified by the awful darkness of the prison, the intense heat which was caused by the overcrowding in the climate of Roman Africa and the brutality of the soldiers. Other confessors talk about the various miseries of prison life which were totally beyond their power of description. But these included being deprived of food, except for enough to keep them alive, being deprived of water, of light, of air, being weighted down with irons, were placed in the stocks with their legs drawn very far apart being exposed to all manner of infection from heat, from the overcrowding, and from totally unsanitary conditions. These were just some of the afflictions that preceded the actual death. Many naturally died in prison under such, such conditions, while others, unfortunately, unable to endure all this, adopted the easy means of escape namely complying with the Roman Empire, offering up a bit of incense to the gods. And as, pain, as is painfully obvious, dear faithful, there are still the inf incense offerers among us. President Biden tells us that the Pope he said he's a good Catholic, that he should continue receiving Holy Communion. Well, I wasn't a fly on the wall in that conversation, dear faithful. I don't know what was actually said, but I do know that President Biden supports unfettered access to so-called abortion rights, this act by which a child is killed in its mother's womb. Even now, at late stages of pregnancy, involving sharp tools that latch onto limbs, 
and don't let go. I think, dear faithful, that someone like that, who supports totally unrestricted access to this, and thinks of themselves still as a good Catholic, merits more than anything our pity and our prayers. Because this would seem to be the definition of being lost. It seems that someone who could actually accept this is at the point where they believe their own lies. And that's a scary place to be. That's like being condemned without having any means to correct the situation, save a special divine intervention which we have no right to presume upon. We can and we should condemn certain actions, but let's pray for sinners, first and foremost ourselves. To return to my original question, why does it seem that virtue lags so far behind that of so many in the early church? We may not have witnessed our Lord's resurrection and ascension, but we have the witness of more than 2,000 years of the history of the church, so many lives of saints, so many miracles, so many Eucharistic miracles, hosts with myocardial tissue, blood flowing from them, witnessing to the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist, here with us. Should fearless faith come to us with such great difficulty? Now, it's true that the vast majority of those in the early church were expecting the imminent return of our Savior, and this did not turn out to be the case. But we could just as well ask ourselves, why are we so attached to this poor world, to this life, to these created goods that we keep telling ourselves will fill us with happiness and then always end up by disappointing us. If there's something that most of those Catholics in the early church understood in a far more visceral way than us, it's perhaps this. Our religion is not just a set of ideas or a system of philosophy which leaves open a certain domain for doubts or accommodations of the doctrines to our own judgment. It's just as real as the day is long, and its consequences for our lives are just as inevitable. For this Catholic religion, that of Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is only in boldly professing it, without shame, without compromise, that we will be able to happily correspond to these words of our Lord. Everyone, therefore, that shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.